Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus. Doug Tonus and I will be recording tomorrow, Sunday, December 31st, after a two-week hiatus. I appreciate the email outreach, but we're just taking some time off during the holidays. The show will be up sometime tomorrow evening for your listening pleasure. We'll be discussing the Sixers game tonight and various highlights, lowlights for the Bulls in 2023. This show you're about to hear will be my annual college football discussion. It's an interview with Rob Tate, a college football expert based in the middle of SEC territory. As many of you already know, my other passion outside of the beloved Bulls is college football, primarily residing with the Big Ten since I am an Illini grad and my daughter attends Purdue. One quick comment on the disappointing loss to the Pacers before we get into this uh, college football discussion. The Pacers were 19-42 from three. That's a 45% rate on high volume. The Bulls were 7-27 for 25%. You can't fight the math. You're going to lose every time when you get outscored by that kind of margin at the three-point line. Hal Burton had 20 assists. 20 assists. That's one more than the entire Bulls team. He had six three-pointers. That's one less than the entire Bulls team. He's an awesome basketball player. And despite P-Wolf's progress, missing out on Halliburton will go down as one of the most egregious draft misses in the history of this franchise, period, end of story. Now let's talk some college football with college football expert Rob Tate. Have a happy new year, everybody. Looking forward to talking to you throughout 2024. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus. And boy, oh boy, do we have a special episode for you today. After all many years of annual discussions on college football, we got a special one this year where we actually have the viewpoint of the SEC for the first time on this glorious program. And I brought in Rob Tate, SEC expert. Rob, welcome to the show. Freddie, I'm glad to be here. I don't know what took you so long if you've been having an annual broadcast on college football and haven't had representation from the SEC, (laughs) but we have arrived finally. Man, I'm, I'm glad to be here. We've been friends for a while. As far as I can tell with your NBA analysis, you're like a genius. But Thank when it you. comes to college football, you are a sick and demented individual. So <laughs> I'm just excited you. to step <laughs> into your world. Well, how dare you? I have a passion, obviously, about the NBA, but also for many years about college football because I do feel it's arguably been the most unjust situations over the various years of crowning a national champion when in reality we really don't know in in several cases highlighted primarily in 1994 with Penn State losing out to Nebraska as the to me the most egregious example of having national champions that really didn't deserve it now we're getting closer to it now with the final four and next year we'll have 12 but this year oh boy I mean, what a mess that we're going to start out with. And that's why the main reason I wanted you to have on on the show, Rob, because, you know, everyone I've talked to here in Big Ten country has been appalled with this decision to bring in Alabama over Florida State. Florida State obviously left out. What are your thoughts on their being left out of the Final Four and Alabama's inclusion? Do you think that was a justified decision? And and love to hear your overall take on this issue. Well, I do. Just taking a step back quickly, Fred, you you mentioned the Penn State travesty from uh, 1994. That might not be the last Penn Penn State debacle we talk about today. But I do think that the decision was justified. 
we, we've talked about it some. Um, the long and short of it is, while the team was deserving, and everybody knows this, an undefeated conference champion, not only were they not a top four team, they weren't a top six team. Georgia was better than Florida State. Ohio State was better than Florida State. It wasn't just about Alabama getting in ahead of them. What about Texas, a one-loss? Well, I'm a Florida better. State fan. I hate it, but I think the committee made the right decision. The teams you mentioned all had one loss, right? Georgia lost. Ohio State lost. Florida State, regardless of what you think about the team, had two wins against the SEC, against a very good LSU team at full strength to begin the season. Why do you feel that they aren't better than Georgia or Ohio State? Like, just looking at the team. Is it because of the quarterback situation, or is it just because you think even at full strength, both those teams would beat Florida State? More the latter. And, and Fred, Florida State beat an overrated LSU team. I think LSU is the most overrated team in college football this year. Jalen Daniels, Heisman winner, very deserving, unbelievable talent. That team is overrated. Everybody that beat them counted beat them counted it as a quality loss, but they lost to every quality opponent that they played. So for Florida State to beat them in week one, not very impressive to me. If you look at the state of their roster now, and I, I get the argument they've got a lot of guys opting out of the bowl game because of uh, not playing in, in the playoff for a championship, but they're just not a championship-caliber team. They would not beat any of the four that are in the field. They would not beat Ohio State. They would not beat Georgia either. Georgia's favored by 19 points in the game against Mm -hmm. them on on New Year's Eve. Yeah, right. I mean, come on. I agree. Georgia's probably the better team. But I, I don't feel like you can just say, because we all came to that conclusion, that you can ignore their performance during the regular season. Because, all right, let's, let's take a step back. If Florida State quarterback and their backup didn't get injured, would, do you still feel that they would be left out? Probably not. Okay. But they were. <laughs> but they were. So we're, go, we're judging this team based on the fact that they lost their quarterback and their backup. Ohio State, Kyle McCord announced he entered the transfer portal. He's not playing for Ohio State. He's going to be playing at Syracuse next year. He was their quarterback for the vast majority of the season. There are so many key teams, big teams, that have suffered due to the transfer portal, but we're not punishing them. We're still putting them in in these elite games. To me, like Florida State has more of an argument because they lost their quarterback due to injury. And they right. still won. They still beat Louisville. Good Louisville team that beat Notre Dame. I, I just feel like we're really gone down a, a dark road here to exclude a team that was undefeated for a one-loss Alabama team. That the week before, yes, they beat Georgia. Very impressive. I, I give them a standing ovation for that victory. We all watched the Auburn game. They should have lost that game. And yes, no they won. They beat Auburn. How do we ignore that? But we punish Florida State because, oh, their quarterback got injured. Yeah, but they beat Louisville. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, you know, their quarterback got injured. It's, it, it's such a selective argument. I, I, find, I find it, like, appalling. I really do. Well, it is. But, but going back to where this conversation started, at least they, they had four shots, right? We rewind a couple of years. There were, two, there were two shots. They wouldn't have been in the top two. That's, that's for sure. We fast forward to next year. Hey, congrats, Florida State. You're on the come up. You've got a great coach in Mike Norvell. You're recruiting well, too. Do this again. You're in the 12-team playoff. You go run the table, and, and you are who uh, 
who you wanted to be. And to be clear, nobody's ignoring what they did. I mean, every poll, whether it's coaches, AP, or otherwise, has them at three or four or five outside of the playoff committee. So I think everybody's acknowledging that this team is deserving of recognition as a, as a top-tier team, not mm-hmm. just top ten, top three, four, five, six, depending on, on how you look at it. Uh, it's just that they're not in the top four as, as far as the four best, most competitive teams uh, to compete for a national championship. Before we put a bow on this discussion, however, I do want to throw out one scenario where let's say Florida State wins by three touchdowns. Let's say they dominate Georgia. How does that change the conversation of what happened here? And do you see any situation that Florida State could win a split national championship? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how much how much fun debate we want to have for the benefit of the show, but no. Let's do it. I mean, first of all, that's not going to happen. They're not going to win by three touchdowns. They'll be lucky if they only get beat beaten by three touchdowns in this game. But if they did, no, that there wouldn't be a, a co-national championship. That would be the same joke that Auburn had back in their undefeated SEC championship season, where they weren't selected to compete. Or for that matter, when was it Central Florida who declared themselves the world champions of life when, <laughs> when they did the same thing? Exactly. So, no, Florida State can go and tout that if they want to, but that there will be one national championship champion in it, and it won't be them. If Florida State beats Georgia by more points than Alabama did, with Georgia being much healthier in this game, I could see a situation if Alabama barely beats Michigan and barely wins the national title against, like, let's say a Washington team by one or two points, that, you know, Alabama's going to be crowned the national championship of one loss, but Florida State just destroyed Georgia. Undefeated Florida State? Oh, my gosh. That's going to be an interesting conversation. And I, I think some people would – I think you can make a good case that Florida State should be recognized as a national champion. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you feel that's an incorrect statement? I do. I love you, Freddie, but I, I feel like that's an incorrect statement. And here's why. I mean, it's going to be the same as the Penn State debacle that you brought up earlier or any number of others that had great seasons, even back before the BCS era, where the press just selected a national championship from a pool of multiple bowl game winners, right? Yeah. And this will all come out in the wash of Florida State football history as one of the greatest teams that never was. They've got national championships in their past i think with the the trajectory that they're on they've got championships in their future too so i uh no i I think that's going to be the that's going to be what it what it turns out to be so let's move on to and i apologize that i haven't given you a chance to discuss this topic in advance i should have sent this to you but i do want to throw this out before we get into more details on the nil ramifications and predictions etc but I'm a little concerned, I don't know if the word is concerned, disturbed, disappointed at where college football is today. And and what I mean by that, let's look at the Ohio State game versus Missouri, two great teams from two major conferences. And we're going into this game, and Kyle McCord's transferring to Syracuse. He's not going to be playing. Marvin Harrison Jr., is 14 touchdowns, arguably the best player in college football, 14 touchdowns this year, 14 touchdowns last year, just an incredible player, wide receiver. I'd be shocked if he plays. If he plays, all great, but there's a good chance he won't play. Like, what has the transfer portal and where players are not 
are opting out in these bowl games. What's that doing to college football? Is it, is it causing any concern for you, or are you able to look past that and say, you know what, I still enjoy the bowls, and I, I'll still recognize whoever wins these games? Yeah. Well, even going back to where the conversation started, so much of what we have loved about college football over the years, and for me, it is my favorite and the best team sports format in the history of mankind, Division One college football. But so much of what we have hated about it in the past with the preferential treatment of these blue-chip programs and conferences, mm-hmm. um, that's all getting flipped on its head with what we hate about what's changing now with Transfer Portal, with NIL, with a lot of that playing field getting leveled. So personally for me, I kind of like it um, as a as a, as a long-suffering fan of the Ole Miss Rebels, and we'll talk about that more in a bit. I mean, it's benefited us more than most, um, but I think in a lot of ways benefited us more than a lot of these blue-chip programs that we've had to you know, compete with, if you want to call it competing year in and year out with the Auburns, the Alabamas, the LSUs of the world. I think it levels the playing field a bit. There is a really unique impact, I think, both positive and negative during bowl season. The first that you said is obvious. I mean, if we look back over a few years, all you had to really concern yourself with around opt-outs were folks that were going to go prepare for the NFL draft, that wanted to avoid injury, or that had some academic issue at the conclusion of the fall semester. Well, now you've got Transfer Portal, you've got NIL, Mm -hmm. you've got all these other reasons that people uh, sit out, but I I do think there are some positives to it as as well, Uh, like teams being able to showcase their rosters in a bowl game to attract more uh, talent from the transfer portal. Um, that that's that's one of the things that I see as a positive. I agree with you. I think that is the positive for me too. That you're going to have a team and the, the perfect segue into talking about the NIL because you as an old Miss fan, I mean, no team has probably benefited or improved more in this so far in this portal season than Ole Miss. Could you go for our listeners? Now, keep in mind, a lot of people listening to the show, are, their number one passion is the NBA. Just talk briefly about what the NIL is and, you know, how it started, if you don't mind. Uh, just a general overview on it. You know, yeah. dummies, 101 for it. But And then get into, from the Ole Miss perspective, how it's benefited your team. What it, what, it, what, it, what have you done uh, as, a, as a school to really separate yourselves from these other schools? And how do you think it's going to affect Ole Miss going forward. Yeah. So NIL, of course, acronym for for name, image, and likeness. This was a a big legal movement that allowed for amateur college athletes to get paid via endorsements that tapped into the value of their name, image, and likeness. Right? So that started out, you know, imagining smaller, smallish time, uh, you know, local businesses and advertisers and boosters that would say, hey, if you'll, if you'll come to school here or there, we're going to sign you to this endorsement deal, and if you do a couple commercials with us, we'll pay you $100,000, a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. That's now evolved into these huge collectives that operate almost like not-for-profit fundraisers on behalf of these athletic programs, where it basically just creates a war chest for these football programs in particular, but other, you know, I would say basketball and baseball as well to really use that capital to determine uh, how they build their teams. 
And now it's not just about how we go and sign players out of high school, but how we can lure them away as very established players, starters, developed players at other tier one programs to come come to your school, come come to your campus and to incentivize you to do that. So that's what NIL is all about. It has changed very rapidly and by all accounts is is as shady as it was before when payers were, were getting uh, paid illegally. And a lot of what I'm hearing about that, Fred, is that so many of these NIL values are inflated where, you know, you might, I mean, for crying out loud, I, I heard Matt Rule, Nebraska's coach last week, uh, talk about how quality quarterbacks in the transfer portal were going anywhere from a million to a million and a half dollars. And then he went out and signed one of, one of the best quarterbacks in the portal. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one from of the Georgia. best recruits uh, yeah. who flipped from Georgia, Dylan Riola, number one quarterback in the class, actually flipped from Georgia to Nebraska. So I don't know what, what he paid for him. But I think a lot of those are getting inflated where they suddenly hear, oh, wow, you know, Nebraska's paying these guys a million, million and a half dollars. Well, they're not regulating that. They're not required to report it anywhere. Maybe paying them a half million dollars, but suddenly that's a, a commercial for somebody to go consider, you know, a given program over another one. So I, it's changed very rapidly, very quickly, NIL in particular. And I think it'll continue to with, with more regulation as we go along. So how has Ole Miss been dominating this portal recently i just keep on hearing day after day they're getting another guy and it, so what, what are they doing that's allowing them number one to to get this advantage and number two do you foresee like these ramifications are for more of like an equalizing a power that's less located primarily with georgia and alabama and throughout the sec and hopefully the big 10 too yeah, well, the, the impact for Ole Miss in particular has been huge. Uh, ranked number one in transfer portal, whether you're looking at rivals on 24, you know, any of those agencies that track this stuff. Fred, I think part of the reason we've been so successful is not just what we've done this year, but what we've done with the years leading up to, to all the action in the portal this time around. I mean, you look at all of our best playmakers on offense in particular, with the exception of Quinshawn Judkins, who we'll talk about when we preview the Penn State game. Mm-hmm. You look at our quarterback, Jackson Dart, transfer from USC. Trey Harris, our best receiver. Uh, Prescorn, our, our best tight end. Bentley, Wade, Watkins, transfer from Louisville. The defensive lineman. All these are guys that have transferred into our program that have played immediately and made an impact and have actually decided to stay and play next year. So that allows us to, I think, attract better talent out of the portal. But you look at who's coming in, even the immediate impact. There's a guy that we signed from Clemson. By the way, Dabo's been the biggest uh, antagonist you know, within this whole portal and, and NIL conversation. Uh, we snagged one of their best linebackers, TJ Dudley, back in the summer. Lo and behold, he's just become available uh, for the Peach Bowl. So he'll play in his first game as an Ole Miss Rebel against Penn State uh, here in a couple of days when we really need him. But oh my God! It's been instant defense for us. Well, hold um, on a second. Just stop there because I wasn't aware of this. Yeah. This guy left Clemson, and he's playing for Ole Miss in the bowl game. Yeah. So he, so he signed with Ole Miss back in the summer um, and has been ineligible. He just became eligible. He'll he'll play his first snaps for Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl. So I, I kind of feel that this is going to cause – I think it's already happening – when you think about in, in years past where it wasn't so easy to transfer schools and, and get into the portal, 
you know, you would see great recruits three three deep, four deep sometimes uh-huh. going to some of these major universities like Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, you know, Alabama. But now those kids that lose out in the battle for quarterback are motivated, they're angry, and they're entering the portal and going to another school with the intentions to prove that they were, you know, basically done wrong at the university. Do you see do you foresee that is that is that how these players are moving, or is there other reasons why they're going? Well, I think there are a number of factors at play for any given player. It, it could be that kind of personal mentality that you just described. Of course, playing time is a big part of it. You've got money at play. You've got coaching carousel changes that happen constantly. Mm-hmm. Maybe the coach that recruited me in here that, that ran the certain schemes now out the door, and I, I don't feel as good about where this is headed. But what blows my mind is when I look at so many of these transfers that have come to Ole Miss that were starters, you know, that were leading defenses on the on the teams that they were on and other big programs. I mean, this guy, Walter Nolan, five-star recruit, number one player in the portal, uh, defensive lineman that Ole Miss just signed. Why was he there? Same thing. We got the top edge rusher from Florida, the top edge rusher from Tennessee, both impact players, the best linebacker at Auburn, or sorry, Arkansas, I think we've signed five defensive backs. This kid, Juice Wells, from South Carolina, one of the best wide receivers, first-team All-SEC, he transferred. So with some of those, it's like, man, you're you're playing, you're making an impact. Where you are, you're getting playing time, you're getting touches, you're featured in your your offense or your defensive scheme. Um, You're probably getting paid. What is it? I mean, sometimes it's, you know, I guess just the energy or or the team that's on the come-up, and I, I do think that's Ole Miss right now you know being one of those teams where to your point you know i can be one of three five stars at my position at alabama and i can wait my turn until i'm a junior or senior or i can go make an impact somewhere like Ole miss or like colorado or some of these other programs immediately it's so interesting now going to 12 because i just foresee i don't i don't i think the days of just having one or two teams dominating are over i really believe that it's going to be a lot i do more. too yeah, a lot more. You're going to see very well. I still think the two conferences are going to be primarily Big Ten and SEC, just because that's where it looks like everything's going. Let's touch on that really quick before we get into the predictions. Where do you see college football in like five years? Do you feel like these conferences, like the Big Twelve, is going to disappear? The ACC is going to disappear? I mean, people aren't even talking about this, but SMU is joining the ACC. I think next year. I know, and it's it's so ridiculous. Like. Why? And I really feel like Florida State, I think they're suing the ACC right now. Big news today. What, what do you see? What do you think is going to happen here? Is it just going to break, eventually go down the two major conferences and then a lot, everything smaller than that? Where do you see college football going? Well, I, I think you look at the Big Ten and you look at the SEC. Those are athletic institutions. They're, I, I just can't imagine any semblance of college football in particular without a Big Ten or an SEC influence of some kind. Mm-hmm. But I thought Chip Kelly had a really good point of view on this, and, and naturally as a former you know NFL guy he would. But just imagine all of college football playing more uh, within geographic regions, right, where we've got four of them. You've got teams that you play within your region or, or within your conference or division. You've got other um cross-divisional or or cross-conference foes that you play throughout the year to determine who gets in uh, to a a larger playoff field. So I think that's what form it's ultimately going to take. 
it won't be as much about how we get representation from these conferences as much as how do we, um, you know, how do we architect a field that allows us to get the best teams in the country into this playoff. And what a shame for the Pac-12, man. I think we've seen some unbelievable, like some of the best teams I've ever seen, you know, the USC's of the world come out of that conference in years past. They've been quiet for a while until this year where it seemed like top to bottom, it was probably one of the best conferences in the country and their last year in existence. So uh, who knows? Great. So we only got a few minutes left, so I, let's get in some predictions. First of all, thanks again, Rob, for jumping on and talking about this stuff, because I think it is it is really fascinating. I think this is the last year that we're going to see just the Alabama-Georgia domination in Ohio State-Michigan. I really do feel we're going to see a national champion from a team potentially like Ole Miss, from a team potentially like Penn State, or you know even a USC or Washington joining the Big Ten. Some of these... Really good schools that have really proud programs, but not year-over-year Alabamas of the world, right? I I think that's what we're going to see. Do do you agree with that, or do you feel like, hey, now the next four years is going to be one of those four or five teams? I think so, and I hope so. I think it's going to take a couple years to get out of – to to work our way out of some of these recruiting and player developmental cycles that some of these blue-chip programs have invested so much in. Yeah, um, I won't be surprised if next year we're still talking about the Georgias, Alabamas, Michigans, Ohio State as as primary contenders. Mm-hmm. But I do I do hope and expect we'll see more parity as we roll along here. So we're going to go into about six games. I want to throw at you and get your opinion on these games: Ole Miss and Penn State. A battle of Ole Miss ranked eleven, Penn State ten. I'm a huge fan of both teams. I think they're both excellent football teams and. Both ten and two on the year with losses to you know I think the top five teams right are the yeah. losses that they've had. So. This is this is just an awesome matchup. First time Ole Miss and Penn State have ever played each other. New Year Six bowl game, uh, second New Year Six bowl in in three years under Lane Kiffin. Second ten win season uh, under Lane Kiffin within within three years. And Ole Miss is going for their first eleven win season in school history. If you can believe that, it's sad. It's sad, but true. Um, I've 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 liked James Franklin over the years, head coach at Penn State. Um, I remember when we played against him when he was coaching at Vanderbilt. Unfortunately for both Lane Kiffin and uh, James Franklin, neither have done a good job in their careers facing top ten, top tier caliber talent. So we'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, Penn State has an unbelievable defense, top three in the nation. I think they're giving up about 11 points per game. If Ole Miss can get their offense rolling via Quinshawn Judkins, who you're probably going to think looks a lot like a Saquon Barkley throwback if you haven't seen him before. Mm-hmm. If we can if we can get him on pace, we'll call the plays how we want. Um, I know Penn State's favorite, I think, four, four and a half points. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm picking Rebs. Rebs are on the come up. Um, they're playing against two new coordinators, of course. Penn State's got a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. Their DC's Tom Allen, who I like, former head coach at Indiana, uh, and he was at Ole Miss before that. But um, we've got a lot of great players coming back. We had one defensive end opt out in Cedric Johnson. Um, Penn State had the same happen, and I don't know much about this guy, but uh, the fact that his first name is Chop tells me he's probably a good defensive player. He opted out, too, so maybe we're even on that one. I am a huge fan of Penn State's defense. I think it's one of the best in the country. Uh, I'm not a fan of their offense, unfortunately. I just think there's too much momentum right now at Ole Miss with all the 
everything they got going on in, in their favor with the news about the transfer portal, and they had a great season, really. I mean, just incredible year for them. So with a couple of big wins over LSU and uh, everybody outside of uh, Georgia and Alabama. So great season for them. Um, I agree. I think that Ole Miss will end up winning this game by well, probably a touchdown or so. Let's let's get into the four, obviously the final four, the big two games. Alabama at Michigan, number four at number one. Alabama with one loss, 12-1, lost to Texas early in the year. Michigan 13-0. What a game. Can't wait. January 1st, 4 p.m. What say you? The granddaddy of them all. And I'm not talking about the Rose Bowl. I'm talking about Nick Saban here. (laughs) I think that... Uh, Michigan's favored by a point and a half. I think they've lost that point and a half edge when they fired one staffer in particular. Uh, Saban's gonna gonna pull it out. Alabama's gonna win this game in a close one. It'll be it'll be three points. I am slightly concerned after watching Alabama the last few weeks. I do really respect their offensive line. I think that is the way to beat Michigan. Is just try to overpower them on the on the line. It's going to be difficult. I'm just I'm a lot much bigger believer in Michigan's offense than I am on Alabama's offense, and I think Michigan's, Michigan's going to win this game by ten points. So I'm going to take Michigan on that one. Let's go to the number two and three, Washington and Texas. What a game this is going to be! I, you know, Washington's. I, I did not expect them to get here after I really thought Oregon was going to beat them in that final game. You got hats off to them to go undefeated and just incredible job. What say you on uh, Washington and Texas? You know, Fred, before about this time last night, I was predicting predicting Alabama and Texas in this matchup. But then I went to my local theater and I saw the boys in the boat. And just like the Washington Huskies did in Berlin, Germany, uh, back in the Olympics, just like they did twice uh, when they were not favored against Oregon, I think they're going to overcome this four-point deficit that they're starting against. They're going to beat Texas uh, they're going to advance to oh, the national wow. championship game. Washington's getting four points. So just out of curiosity, what is your issue with Texas? Like, what don't you like about them in this matchup? This is going to sound like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth a bit here, Fred, but their strength of schedule outside of Alabama, I just wasn't impressed with, with who they played all year. Yeah, fair enough. That's good. And the Oklahoma game I watched that Texas lost, that was their lone loss all year. I will say I thought Texas was clearly the better team. They had two key turnovers they came away with. Uh, they were inside the 10-yard line twice, got zero points on a couple of those uh, couple of those offensive possessions. I, I do like Texas a lot. I think they're going to beat Washington, and I think they're going to end up playing Michigan in the championship. So let's go with your version of the final with Washington versus Alabama. Who wins that one? I think Alabama wins. Nick Saban takes home his last national championship as a head coach. And you think he'll retire after the game? I'm not so sure. I think he might coach another season or two. He is in, I think, year two of a nine-year contract. But remember, he's 72 years old. Oh he gosh. only got that extension when Kirby Smart signed his and Georgia went to pay him more money. Alabama boosters responded and said, no, we want Nick Saban to be the highest paid coach. So he's going to win it this year. Uh, maybe he coaches another season or two. I don't think he wins it again. This will be his last national championship as a head coach. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to win against uh, Texas and go on to coach my beloved Chicago Bears next year after winning the national championship for Michigan. Just too much baggage with this season. Uh, but regardless, it's going to be awesome either way. 
one co- final comment I'd love from you on Nick Saban. Like, who do you feel is the best college coach of all time? Nick Saban. Unequivocally, who else is in that Un- conversation? I think some of your some of your Big Ten, uh, mm-hmm. some of your Big Ten, Woody, Woody Hayes, Hayes Bo Beckler, some yeah. of those guys have to have to be in there. I think there are stronger cases for the best collegiate coaches of all time in other sports like basketball with with John Wooden, who's probably the best collegiate coach of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got to believe those 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 two others are up there. Of course, there are folks that will put Bobby Bowden in that conversation, Steve Spurrier too. Um, what do you think, Fred? Uh, I, th- I think Saban. I think it's Woody Hayes and Saban. Woody Hayes, though, obviously from a bygone era, didn't end it well with punching him. Opposing player, but I love that guy. That was an excellent coach. I'm trying to think if anyone else really comes to mind who can. I mean, Kirby Smart. Goodness gracious, if he can win another one, he's he's probably in that conversation too. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah. hey, and and I tell you, if Dabo can Dabo at Clem, Dabo Swinney at Clemson can get back on track there, or find himself as, as as head coach at Alabama once Nick Saban leaves. Maybe there's a conversation there, too. Who knows? Final question before we wrap up. I hope you don't mind. We're going a little bit over. I'd like your opinion on the top five jobs in college football. Um, let's just say Michigan wins it this year. Um, first of all, whoever wins it, is that going to change your answer, number one? No. Okay. Top five in your opinion. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Texas. Number th- kind of three A and three B for me between Ohio State and Michigan. Mm-hmm. So call it three and four, pick them. And five, I'd probably say Notre Dame. As much as it pains me to say it, <laughs> that's a great call. I agree with you too. That, but how, you know, that's why you look at the situation. Look, he he, um, Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame for LSU. LSU. I mean, if he's leaving that school for LSU, don't you have to say LSU is in that conversation potentially too? I think there's no question LSU is a top 10 job. There's also no question that Brian Kelly is a strange bird. So why he (laughs) makes the decisions that he makes, man, your guess is as good as mine. I want to flesh this one out on your next visit. Like after the bowl season is done, let's, let's get our top 10 collegiate jobs but that list is about as good as it gets i agree with you a hundred percent i might have texas ahead of alabama there's something about texas football that is really special and they've been so bad you know not bad but not great for long that i think we kind of lost a little bit sight of it you know but when they're winning national titles i mean does it get any better i'm vince young no i mean that was one of the greatest games ever i agree fred and you rewind past nick saban you know, you had to jump all the way back to Gene Stallings to have any semblance of an Alabama winning program. Exactly. Lots of Don Shula's in there. Exactly. Uh, Rob, it was awesome having you on the Big Red Bus, Chicago Bullseye. Love talking college football with you. I can't wait to have you on again. Let's do this again in a month after the bowl season is done. Hopefully we can, we can drag our mutual friend Jeff Beard on for a, a more spirited conversation. Let's do it. it Arkansas basketball will be in full swing by that time, so I'm sure it'll be ready to, to join the conversation. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob.